So um, the speaker I'm going to introduce this morning actually um, is someone that's really well known to you, but we found out something two weeks ago at our open mic night that this gentleman actually can tell a good joke. Uh, I, I actually, he's been known to actually do two things. He's been known to tell a joke and rap at the same time. Although that particular night, he just didn't want to just overwhelm us with his talent. So he just to told a good joke and it was actually really, really funny. So um, actually, uh, we know him as uh, Dave Forsythe. He's the chairman of uh, the elders, um, uh, someone who's just given his heart and soul to this church. And we want to welcome him to come up and uh, give us the message this morning. Well, thank you, Bill. You're very kind. I really can't tell a joke and rap at the same time. That's a falsehood, another falsehood that's being circulated. But uh, I, uh, I am happy to be here this morning with you. Um, it's been good. I'm gonna. Uh, this is the last Sunday in our series on parables, summer series and parables, and it was left open to me what to speak on, and uh, I selected a, another parable. Um, it's been good. I've benefited from every sermon I've heard. Uh, there have been um, benefits for me, and uh, I pray that that would this morning would be no different. Though that's up to God. Um, how many of you have been to Disneyland? Huh? Disneyland? Okay. So, this is a picture of Disneyland in Shanghai, actually. I didn't really know that they had Disneylands in Shanghai, but they do. And, uh, and other places in the world now. And every, apparently every Disneyland has a castle, right? Castle like this. And this is, uh, according to... Uh, Shanghai Disneyland, the most spectacular castle, uh, Disney castle in the world, and it might be. I don't, I don't know. But uh, okay, so of those, of those of you who um, have been to Disneyland, uh, did you like it? Put your hand up if you liked it. Okay, okay. So, so what did you like about it? Somebody, somebody who had their hand up, what did you like about it? Sorry. Mickey Mouse, seeing, seeing the real Mickey Mouse, that was impressive, sure. Someone else? Come on, we've got time for a couple here. Need to, sorry? The rides, the rides were a thrill. I got sick the last time. They made me do that California screamer two or three times in a row with my kids and didn't make it to the bathroom. That was rough. Wow. Wally, Wally. Hey, only one thing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was clean. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, one last one. Something you liked. Seeing people happy. Yeah, that's really remarkable, eh? They, they, it's a vision of one man, Walt Disney, to make uh, the happiest place on earth for, for children. And, and they've pursued that over the decades and even following. They've carried that vision Forward, haven't they? For me, when you go through the gates into this uh, many splendored kingdom, um, it was amazing. Like every everywhere you looked, what was something new, something exciting. You know, it might have been Mickey Mouse with a crowd of kids around. It could have been a candy store. Wow, it's lots of good 
it was the first time I went as a kid, there was an arcade. I spent hours in this arcade. And it was just one thing after another. Every time you turned around, there was a new special delight. Uh, but the last time I went, I, uh, after you know, the third day of the three-day pass or whatever it was that we had, I was sitting on a fake rock. And uh, <laughs> I, began to, I began to realize I was craving something real. And, and, I, and I looked around, and man, there's a fake tree and a fake stream and a fake uh, mountain, gri fake grizzly bear. I, and I just, I just began to, you know, man, I'm, I'm kind of tired of all this man-made stuff. I want something real. And um, I don't know if you would have had that experience, but that was my experience. And, you know, here I am dissing the happy place, happiest place on earth, but uh, my wife won't be happy. But anyway, um, well, of course, Jesus spoke of, of a kingdom, didn't he? And most of the parables that we were talking about are talking about this kingdom that awaits us. And I think part of the genius, and, my, and again, my lovely wife pointed this out, what... what Disneyland stirs maybe the chords of our heart in a way we, we're craving this, this kingdom, this, this place of, of, uh, of delight and joy and that's clean and pure and, and good. And that's what the kingdom of heaven holds before us. It's what Jesus holds before us. And he speaks about that. You know, that he told us when he came that, hey, the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's in your midst. You may not be able to see it. That's the problem, right? It's not visible, but it's just as real. In fact, it's more real than Disneyland. Uh, and this has always been the case. From uh, the Psalms, we read, uh, eternal pleasure is at your right hand. We get to experience those. And in Psalm 36, 7 to 9, it says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light parades. Right? <laughs> or not. Okay, we see light. And these are the delights of the soul. Right? Peace, love, joy, flowing from a faith in God's faithfulness. We can taste that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We're encouraged to do that. Try it out. And we experience, start to experience these things. And we go, wow, there's, uh, there's something more. But yet Jesus promises something more, even than simply uh, spiritual rewards or spiritual experiences or blessings in this life, doesn't he? He promises us a kingdom. He speaks about it all the time, in all, probably in all these parables. He speaks about something that's coming, a kingdom that, of course, puts Disneyland to shame. It, imagine walking into the kingdom of heaven and my experience of, wow, this is really cool, candy, and, but something more, right? Delights of every sort, uh, people, it wasn't Winnie the Pooh over there that we get to see. It's the angel Gabriel. Wow. I get to go talk to him. Look at that crowd around. I want to go. This is real. This is real. 
It's more real than Disneyland. That's what awaits us. Think of what it might be, eternal pleasures, and then walking in as sons and daughters, as co-heirs of this kingdom, walking in and being right at home. Wow, no more evil, no more wickedness, no more injustice, no more things that make you angry, frustrate you, and you're welcomed, and you can walk right up to the throne and have Jesus say, come here. The Father, come here. That's the kingdom that awaits us, isn't it? This is, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is the kingdom of heaven. Disneyland is a truly wonderful place. Maybe the best place we can imagine on earth. But what we really need and what Jesus is preparing for us, even now, is the kingdom of heaven, isn't it? It's not what our soul cries out for. Now, we've heard from Simon, uh, the price has been paid for us to get into heaven. We've declared his death that paid the price of admission. Purchased our ticket, if you will. That's really a crass way of putting it, actually. But the price has been paid for all who would come to enter this kingdom. But there are further requirements beyond the price, beyond the ticket. And many of the parables, maybe all of them that we've been considering this summer, deal with that, those requirements of entry to the kingdom. It's not just the price. You have to have a certain other quality. And that has to do with the quality of your heart. Quality of your heart. So today I want to look at another parable that uh, explores this. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. So if you want to turn there one way or another, uh, it would be handy to have your Bible actually because we're going to uh, look at some of the context. So if you have a Bible, great. If you need a Bible, we have uh, Craig there. I just put your hand up and he'd be get, able to give you a loaner. If you've got electronic means, uh, go ahead and access Matt, Matthew uh, 20. I actually, uh, as you're looking, I, I was going to read another passage as well, but I thought, you know, this is enough. <laughs> so... Uh, We'll just focus on Matthew 20 and the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said, said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, 
Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Denarius was a single day's wage recognized throughout that uh, society. A day's wage for a laborer. And on receiving it, or sorry, uh, uh, okay, uh, where are we? Yes, now, when those hired first came, they, yes, okay, so now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, these are your words, your words, and you had purposes in speaking to them, in speaking them. And you have purposes in speaking them to us today. We ask that you would open our ears to hear what you would say. Pray in your glorious name. Amen. I loved Andrew Demoline's comment a few weeks ago as he spoke here. Um, his reminder to us that Jesus is a genius as a teacher. Right? What a great reminder. Just a few words, a story, illustration. He's able to cut right to the depths of the human heart. Reveal just who we are. Sometimes embarrassingly so, if we're honest. And these, this passage is like that, isn't it? And how we respond to it reveals a tremendous amount about who we truly are. Do we try to explain it away, soften it, criticize it, ignore it, put it to the side? How do you respond to this parable? It's important. Remember Simon's extremely helpful introduction to the whole uh, topic of parables where uh, he pointed out that Jesus is, uses this form of metaphorical storytelling um, both to reveal God's truth and to conceal it depending on the state of the heart of the hearer. Both functions. We can draw nearer to God and his kingdom as we respond, or we can move farther away, all depending on our response in our heart to these words. So we need to be very careful how we handle them, how we handle these parables. And I don't know anyone, including yours truly, who hearing this parable for the first time can't relate to the workers who signed on early in the day put in a full day's work um, and were paid the same as those who came later in the day. They, well, well, wait a minute here. This doesn't seem, doesn't seem right. 
clearly, Jesus is speaking of the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven. He says so at the beginning. And the vineyard owner is meant to represent God the Father. So we're, we're faced with a choice if we're going to take Jesus seriously, aren't we? Are we, gonna, are we, how, are we going to... Uh, uh, we have to come to grips with what, what Jesus is saying about God and the kingdom of heaven. Is God unfair? Or is there something we're missing? Is there some other way to take that teaching? It's an important question, actually, historically, <laughs> because in the 1800s, when uh, actually Christianity was relevant to everyone uh, in Western society, uh, whole schools of socialists, political parties, rejected Christianity and the faith, pointing to texts like this. They're going, well, if God's like that, he's unfair, it doesn't make sense. We want, it's proof that God doesn't really exist and Jesus isn't someone worth following. That's, they did that. So it is important how we deal with these things. And to people like that, Jesus actually answers in the, in the parable with some pretty cold, pretty incisive, cutting logic, doesn't he? He says, friend, wait a minute, did you not agree to work for me for a denarius, typical day's wages? Well, yeah. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what is mine? Well, yeah. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Well, maybe. <laughs> it's noteworthy that Jesus concludes Matthew 20 with this statement. The first, or sorry, so the, so the last will be first and the first last. And this parable is part of a larger block of teaching illuminating that first shall be last and the last first statement. Uh, right, the last verse of the preceding chapter, last verse of chapter 19. There it is. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And then it's the, la it's the last statement of this parable. It's spoken in chapter 19 in response to Peter, uh, Peter's kind of baleful cry. It, it, the context is the rich young ruler, and Jesus has expressed regret and grief that this rich young ruler has turned away from him and embraced his own riches rather than the kingdom that Jesus was offering him if he would just leave them. And so he says how tough it is for the, uh, the rich to enter heaven. And, and, and Peter's going, it's, it's kind of rocking his world a bit. And, and he goes, well, what about us? Uh, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus goes, it's okay, Peter. You know, don't worry. We've got lots of blessing for you here in this life and in the kingdom to come. 
But then he says, but many who were first will be last, and the last first. In both cases, and in the one other place it's recorded in the New Testament, the book of Luke, Jesus employs this brilliant play on words to warn that status in God's kingdom, that is, uh, being first in the sense of prominence of position, status in the kingdom, it doesn't depend on when you get in. Even if you're the first to do so. Like it doesn't, just because you're an apostle, Peter, doesn't mean you're going to have great status in the kingdom. Just because you Jews knew about God before others doesn't mean that you are going to have the highest places in the kingdom. It's the warning that comes. So what, so what does that status depend on? It's something else, isn't it? It isn't when you get in. It depends on something else. We get a clue later in chapter 20 where Jesus is recorded as saying to his disciples, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, there's that first word again, must be your slave. That is the last or lowest position in the kingdom. The context of that statement is James and John's mother going to Jesus saying, okay, you're going to, Jesus, how, how about if you give my sons the, the best places in the kingdom, right? When it comes, right? Right? Right, Jesus? Right? You can do that for me, can't you? Well, he says, no, I can't guarantee that. And, uh, and then he says this, just remember, who'd be great among you must be your servant. Who'd be first among you must be your slave. There's a common thread in each of those three accounts. Peter's concern with his future, the vineyard workers' concern with their wages, and the mother of James and John's concern with their place in the kingdom. And the common thread is uh, representing the question, what about me? Hey, wh what about me? How, how, what am I going to get out of this? What, what how am I being treated? And that focus, that self-focus, that preoccupation with self that's so second nature to us, isn't it? Uh, it threatens to keep us out of the kingdom of heaven or at the very least assure us of the lowest place in the kingdom of God. Remember that parable of the rich fool that David... Wood spoke about, right? So concerned with himself, you know, he's talking to himself. He's saying, soul, what shall we do? Soul, <laughs> well, save up, eat, drink, and be merry. This is great, soul. Uh, and then he loses this soul, ultimately, that he was so concerned about in the favor of, uh, and loses all his, all his wealth as well. So given all this, what is Jesus wanting us to grasp, to embrace through these teachings, through this parable? And it's important that we're honest with ourselves. Jesus knows our heart. There's no sense trying to hide it. And as I said, we relate all too readily to the workers who felt they should have been paid more. 
They thought they were better than those that had come later, even though the agreement wasn't breached in any way. They were indignant. You have made them equal to us, they say. And that's their complaint. If we accept that that is an attitude that keeps us from the kingdom, what's the attitude that we need to have to gain entry? In the parable, those that are first end up being those who are the beneficiaries of the landowner's generosity, right? They come not expecting a full day's wages, but, oh, man, look at this. Wow. And they're humbled. They're uh, moved. They're, they're grateful. And that, in itself, probably is a, great, a classic picture of where what being saved by grace actually is, right? Wow, we had no expectation of this, and you poured out this undeserved favor upon us, right? And the response of the heart that, oh, oh, master, thank you, thank you. This is a picture of this, picture of how we should react to the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Lord. The Eucharist, thank you. <laughs> uh, so that's in itself. That's that. That is a first. That that is the type of attitude that makes us first in the kingdom. Gratitude, recipients of grace. Um, but it was kind of easy for them to get to that point, wasn't it? I mean, they uh, they weren't expecting this. This landowner just gives the vineyard owner just blesses them. Um, and it really doesn't help us deal first and had to work all day and then we're paid the same, does it? Uh, we've heard Jesus say this, truly I say to you, unless you turn, unless you change, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But what does that look like? Well, it begins with a heart that is good soil, just baseline, one that doesn't reject this teaching and, and just go to, well, God's unfair, why should I deal with him? If he can't relate to how I'm feeling, why should I deal with it? So, one that doesn't do that is the baseline. Rather, it's a heart that begins with the ground that Jesus is good and will then allow Jesus to lead that heart into something deeper. So having begun there, imagine that kind of heart that in those circumstances would not say, what about me? What about me? But rather would rejoice in the generosity and kindness of the, who would go, Whoa, wow, what a generous, good, kind person. That's the kind of heart that Jesus is directing us toward. That's the kind of heart that will gain entry to the kingdom. What are the marks of that heart? It's a heart at peace. 
It's a heart that's certain God is good. It's a heart of a child who knows that life's way too big for me, but who also knows that their parents will provide the security that they need. It's a heart content with God's calling and the duties of life that attend it. It's a heart freed from the tyranny of self-concern, fear of lack, which leads to greed, self-promotion, recognition, comparing with others. It's even a heart that rejoices in the good fortune or the blessing of God on others instead of resorting to envy, slipping, sliding into envy. Lord, help us. Lord, give us faith. Lord, we can just, Lord, help us. When, but that's, that's the kind of heart that we're being directed towards here. Well, why does Jesus want us to cultivate that heart? Well, there may be many reasons, but one is that as we do, we will begin to understand his heart, who he is, what he is like. You know, we've heard often, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, how seriously do we take that when it's applied to us? Remember... Uh, Marty Bennett, uh, many of you will know him, some of you won't. He uh, was our youth pastor here for 10 years. Uh, one of his last sermons uh, was the parable of Marty's Ladder, I'll call it. <laughs> and I, uh, I didn't realize it, but my son, anybody in his youth group would be very familiar with Marty's Ladder. And uh, Marty's Ladder, he, as he spoke about it, was he, God gave him a vision as he was praying one day, and he saw himself climbing the ladder, climbing a ladder of success, achievement, success, you know, and good things, success in ministry, all these things, and he's going up this ladder, and then Jesus is, passes him going down on the other side, and on the way by, Jesus says, Marty, you want to come with me? And that fundamentally reoriented his life. Wouldn't it? He would rather be at the bottom of the ladder with Jesus. Then at the top without him, right? And we're so busy trying to get to the top that we leave Jesus behind all the time. Now, how do we... The Bible says that when we see him, see Jesus, we'll know him because we'll be like him. And whether we like it or not, whether we resist it or not, the Holy Spirit within every child of God will never stop working to bring that character of Jesus into reality in our hearts. You know, I think of uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, 
who was that brash guy, sort of started out, you know, self, self-reliant, if nothing else, um, ready to blurt out, ready to instruct Jesus in the way he should actually live and talk. And, um, but he was changed. He was changed by the end of his life. And uh, I just want to read from 1 Peter, one of, the, one of the letters that he wrote at the end of his life. And uh, it, just, it just evidences such a humility in this book. He's a changed man. Uh, he affirms the ministry of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who called him out publicly, called Peter a hypocrite publicly. And yet, at the end of his life, Peter is saying, listen to Paul, figure out what he's saying. Yeah, it's difficult to understand, but he's speaking the truth. Paul, Peter was able to take that low place and affirm Paul. He, was, he, he didn't introduce himself as, I'm the super apostle Peter, you've all heard of me. He, he says, I, a fellow elder with you. I'm just an elder like the rest of you elders, as he addresses elders in churches. It's a profound humility. And then he says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter, this one who's saying, what about me back in the day, now knows that well, my anxieties are safe with Jesus. Don't worry, Jesus understands your what about me cries. And he, he promises his presence with us in this life and great reward. The kingdom of heaven awaits, guys. We just have to believe it, don't we? And so Jesus asks, as in other parables, but when I return, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And that's the challenge to us, isn't it? When he does return, if he does find faith on earth, he will find it in those who've begun to embrace that place of heart that enables us to be servants in some small way or some great way, like Jesus. We're going to sing a song now. Uh, band, if you'd be willing to come, come forward. At this point, get ready, and then uh, we'll have a scripture reading, and then Lincoln's going to lead us in prayer before a closing song. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high.
I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Eternal Father, your son was um, in the fullness of his power, most gentle, and in his greatness, most humble. Grant us his spirit, we pray, that, that clothed in true humility, we would follow him and there discern the way of true greatness. In your mercy, O oh Lord, rebuke us. Suffer us never to think that we have knowledge enough to need no teaching or wisdom enough to need no correction or talent enough to need no progress or goodness enough to need no grace, wholeness enough to need no healing, devotion enough to need no quickening, humility enough to need no repentance or strength sufficient without your spirit. Save us, Lord, both from the distraction of trying to impress others and the dangers of having done so. And give us the good sense to be neither puffed up with pride in our triumphs nor plunged into gloom with our failures, but rather teach us your truth, that it is you who reign at the center of the universe that it is you who is possessed of all power and wisdom, and that it is you who are worthy of all blessing and glory and praise. It is you, Lord, who are able to redeem both our successes and our failures. And it's you who is able to pick us up and place us on the narrow road of humility that leads to freedom. These things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to introduce our closing song. Um, Luke's gospel speaks of a day when the kingdom of heaven is actually ushered in. And the faithful are gathered to a feast. Jesus himself will put on the clothing, the garb of a servant at that moment. And he will serve us by his own hand. He'll come and serve us while we, while we sit there. That is one of the experiences that await us in the kingdom of heaven. And when I think of that, I'm reminded of the song that we'll sing now. And I pray that it will help prepare our hearts for that day. Rejoice, rejoice, we will sit at his table when we hear his voice calling us to dine. Rejoice, rejoice, we will be with the master Rejoice, sweet. 
the king our choice is to be with him rejoice rejoice let your praise fill the heavens forever and ever beyond the end of time for the lord jesus christ will be coming in the clouds with the sound of a mighty trumpet and the sleeping will Again, if you want to receive prayer, uh, we have a prayer team that always wants to, is always happy to pray with you. So come on forward for that. Um, refreshments are at the back. But uh, for now, receive the benediction. And it's simply this. As you go from this place into whatever context you're going, may God give you this gift. That your attitude would be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, be blessed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.